Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. In the NBA, the game can change in an instant, but no matter how the action unfolds, DraftKings Sportsbook has your back. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting 5 bucks on basketball. Win or lose, you get an instant up. They even have great same-game parlays. Like in the Celtics-Knicks game, you can get the Celtics money line, Tatum over 26.5 points, Jalen Brown over 22.5 points. That's at plus 258 odds in the Bucks bulls game. You can get Bucks money line, Giannis over 28.5 points, and Dame over 5.5 assists at plus 252 odds. So many different ways to bet the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, must be 21 or older in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had an incredible weekend. we got a very special guest, Mr. Jovan Buha, returning to the show. Laker fans, he's going to be joining us at least for the next month or so, about once a week, to uh, to break down all of the storylines surrounding the Los Angeles Lakers. For those of you guys who are not Laker fans, we still have another show coming out later today. We're going to be doing a power ranking video where we hit the top 10 teams in the league at this point. And then we're also going to do a deep dive on the Los Angeles Clippers, who are a roiling shit show right now, which will be fun 
to get into. But we're going to talk Lakers for a little bit right now. Mr. Jovan Buha, it's very good to see you again. A um, lot to get into today. Let, let's start with a, a tweet that you sent out earlier today um, referring to Jared Vanderbilt's impending return. You said that he's been cleared by the medical staff to start ramping up. Uh, what else have you heard surrounding that? And if you had to guess a timeline on Vando's return, what would you put right now? Yeah, I'd, I'd be on the conservative side with Vando looking at one to two weeks right now. Uh, if I had to target a return date, I'm looking at either the, the 22nd or the 25th. Uh, so around Thanksgiving, uh, because you, you got to remember, he got injured you know, during the first preseason game. So he missed the entirety of the preseason. He's missed the first 10 games. Uh, is going to miss, uh, again, at least, uh, I think, a few more games. Uh, so that ramp-up process, that's a pretty vague term. Uh, I think the the optimism there is that he's been cleared to start to ramp up. Uh, but a ramp-up can be a few days. It can be uh, a couple weeks. So uh, I think with the the injury luck that the Lakers have had in recent seasons and the, the way that some of these things have gone, uh, I, I tend to be more on the conservative end. Uh, so I'm looking at probably closer to week and a half to two weeks uh, before Vando is back. And they're going to need him. Um, it's funny because he was probably their very best point of attack defender last year. And he averaged seven rebounds a game last year. Two very specific issues that the Lakers were having trouble with. And him coming back kind of solves a lot of their regular season problems. It's funny. I always... You got to differentiate between regular season problems and playoff problems. And uh, does Vando solve a lot of the big picture problems with whatever the potential playoff ceiling is with the Lakers? That's a that's up for debate. But certainly within the the context of the regular season, that dude fixes so many of their problems. It's not even funny. And I'm sure they'd like to have him back. But that's not the only injured Laker right now. Um, LeBron James missed last night's game against the Blazers with uh, essentially what was referred to as like kind of lingering issues with his shin injury that he got with Kevin Durant. Um, Do you think last night's rest for LeBron was more a proactive, like kind of like uh, just trying to find days off for him? Or do you think he's actually dealing with some sort of issue in that shin? From my understanding, it is a proactive situation where where the Lakers are just trying to be precautionary. Uh, LeBron, I mean, Remember, we, we got to go back to opening night where LeBron uh, plays 29 minutes against the Nuggets. Everybody's freaking out. Why did he play so few minutes? And Darvin Ham, you know, mentions this minutes restriction that they're, they're going to try and keep him playing 28 to 30 minutes a night. Uh, but since then, <laughs> that has gone out the window. LeBron has played 32 or more minutes uh, in every game except for the Houston game, which was a 34-point blowout loss. He played 27 minutes in that game. So if you look at the workload, Le- the Lakers have had to rely on LeBron a lot more than I think they initially anticipated, uh, in part due to injuries, uh, due to several players underperforming offensively, uh, and, and really just the offense cratering when he's not on the floor. So I, I think they viewed this opportunity against Portland uh, and, you know, already a, a lot team that looks like a lottery team, but then you add in Scoot Henderson's out, uh, Anthony Simons is out, Robert Williams is out. Uh, so that was a, a game that the Lakers identified as we should still be able to beat this team, even if LeBron isn't playing. And uh, it was pretty close. <laughs> they almost didn't escape uh, with, with the win, but they, they ended up winning the game. LeBron got some rest and now he's got a couple days off. Uh, until they have a, a tough back-to-back against Memphis and Sacramento. Yeah, it's interesting because I, if he was dealing with some sort of lingering thing from the shin, I don't think he would have looked as good as he did down the stretch against the Suns. Like he more or less looked like LeBron 
um, in the second half of that game. So I'm not really concerned about it in the big picture. The reality is, is that in the modern NBA, there's just not a lot of nights that you circle as like, hey, maybe we can get this one without LeBron. And like, that was literally the perfect one. If you really like kind of after a game where he's particularly uh, sore and before an important in-season tournament game and a a back-to-back, like it just kind of seemed like the perfect circumstances. I I wasn't even the slightest bit worried about it when I saw that news. The biggest story surrounding the Lakers this past week was Austin Reeves being moved to the bench, a move that I thought – you know, was at least the motivation behind it made sense in the sense that like the Lakers starting lineup was struggling consistently and the backcourt in particular was a driving force behind those struggles. But the 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 team is kind of pitching it as like he's our man who Ginobili. Shout out to uh, Logan Swaim, head of content here at the volume. He basically coined that term. Uh, uh, but like the uh, a it's being portrayed as essentially this big picture. San Antonio Spurs. We're going to empower him the way we did Manu kind of thing. But what have you heard behind the scenes behind like the reasoning behind moving Austin, whether or not it's a permanent thing or a temporary thing and just how he and some other people in the locker might've reacted to that change. Yeah. Well, uh, I was very surprised by it. And in speaking with people around the team, uh, a lot of people were surprised by it. Uh, it seems like it was a decision uh, that Darvin Ham kind of kept close to the vest and, and really uh, tight within his coaching staff. And uh, he made the decision after the Houston game, uh, go, you know, as they were heading over to Phoenix, uh, you know, met with Chris Gent, uh, one of his lead assistants, and they kind of talked it through, uh, came to that decision. And then he and Austin met up uh, in Phoenix uh, at the hotel uh, had about a 30 minute conversation and kind of talk through it. And I think the Lakers, if you look at it now, like the Lakers are kind of doing a half measure where they clearly had to split up D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves. That backcourt just was not working. If you look at all the lineup data and just the eye tests, like those two guys have such similar strengths and weaknesses. And, and, you know, I think a lot of the problems that they were having defensively and on the defensive glass in particular, uh, kind of stemmed from just having Austin and Delo out there and, and those guys not really being able to, uh, you know, hit guys in the paint or, or, or rotate the proper, you know, rotate properly or whatnot. So I think they, they had to split that backcourt up, but it's kind of a half measure in my opinion, just because you, if you look at it, Delo has been starting games, but Austin's been closing. And to me, it's like, you're, you're trying to keep both sides happy where you're like, okay, Delo has been a starter his entire career. We're going to keep him in the starting group. Uh, Austin, you're going to come off the bench, but now you're going to close game. So in the Phoenix game, Austin played the entirety of the fourth quarter. D'Lo didn't play. Then in the Portland game, Austin checked in at the five-minute mark for D'Lo. D'Lo sat the rest of that. So on the one hand, you're, you're still seeing that you know actions speak louder than words, and the Lakers are saying, we trust Austin running the offense in crunch time more than we trust D'Lo. And that kind of shows their commitment and confidence to Austin. But to me, it's it's still like, if you had to split them up, I would go with the guy who's better, who, who's your third best player, who's been better over the entirety of, of kind of this tandem together, who is better in the playoffs, who Darvin Ham said is a future all-star. Like, I, I just don't really see trying to split it up this way where you're trying to keep D'Lo happy by keeping him the starter, but it's almost kind of this token starter position where when it comes down to crunch time, 
you're going to still split them up and, and you're going to lean towards Austin. So I think, you know, also from talking to people, uh, there, there's a sense that Austin would take a benching better than D'Lo would. And that, you know, this was a concern the Lakers had uh, in the Western Conference finals against Denver, where D'Lo was kind of unplayable uh, on both sides of the ball. And it took till game four for them to really feel comfortable benching him and just saying, hey, like, this is our last resort. If he doesn't take it well, we're about to get swept anyway. So uh, I think that was another sense, too, was that Austin's a good soldier. He, he you know, he stayed professional throughout uh, discussing the the demotion. I know they're calling it a realignment. I'm, I'm calling it a demotion. And, uh, you know, so I think that was another sense, too, was D'Lo has been playing slightly better. I think that gap is shrinking. Uh, but it was also kind of politically trying to figure out how can we keep both sides happy. And so far, it's been D'Lo starting and Austin closing. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's what's so funny about the Maynard Ginobili thing is like the important context to why Maynard Ginobili came off the bench was Tony Parker was a better player than him. Like that, Tony Parker was second team All NBA. Tony Parker was a guy that was you know uh, um, essentially just a, a better option in the starting lineup than Austin Reeves was. Now I think there's there's it's 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 important to acknowledge that that's probably the reason that Austin's younger doesn't have his you know obviously doesn't have the pedigree that D'Angelo Russell did coming out of college obviously he was this you know big time scorer out of Ohio State he was a lottery pick it's a totally different vibe in terms of um their kind of like ego that they're bringing into the situation right and i think that that obviously is going to naturally make Austin kind of an easier target there for lack of a better term now I do think that there's it's important to acknowledge why this isn't working because more or less these two guys were the backcourt last year and it didn't seem like a problem until they ran into that Denver matchup and you know you and I talked about this after media day and I think it's it's safe to say that the D'Lo Austin backcourt was destined to be broken up at the deadline because of that Denver series and the realities of the the limitations of those two as a top tier like playoff duo in the backcourt. But they should have been fine in the regular season. And so let's like there's a reason why it hasn't been working out. And I think I think a big part of it is like Austin hasn't been as good defensively as he was last year. Now mm-hmm. there's there's context there like he's in general been in a little bit of a funk to start the season he had a really long off season with a lot of mileage on his legs and and maybe it's one of those things where like as the season progresses he'll get back into better shape um but he hasn't been as good he hasn't been as good on the glass um he hasn't been as good at the point of attack he hasn't been as good in his rotations he just hasn't been as good as he was last year now i don't think basketball players just magically get bad at basketball overnight like that i think he's just dealing with some stuff and he will be fine but that duo won't be able to play together in the regular season until you know the two of them kind of start holding up better there i do think vanderbilt coming back helps a lot in the sense that he kind of takes on a lot of the dirty work responsibilities that you expect from the backcourt. He is a primary point of attack guy, excellent defensive rebounder in a way that Torian Prince is not. So that's the next question here. When Vando comes back, do you think Austin goes back into the starting lineup at that point? Or do you think they slot Torian Prince at the two? What do, what do you think is going to be the look when, uh, when Vando comes back? My understanding is it's TBD right now. I think the Lakers are still in, in evaluation period with how they view Austin coming off the bench versus starting. Uh, I do expect Vando to go back into the starting group. I think he'll start over either Cam or Torian, which is kind of a crazy statement to make with, with the the way that Cam has come on the, these last two games in particular. But I, I think 
it's been about three or four games now that he started to play better, uh, even if his shot hasn't been reliable. Uh, but I, I so right now I would peg it as D'Lo, probably Torian, uh, Vando, LeBron, and AD uh, as the projected starting lineup once Vando is back. But a lot of things could change. Like I think Torian hasn't shot the ball well. He's shooting 31.4% on threes this season. Uh, that was a guy that coming in what was a near 40% uh, career three-point shooter. So if he continues to struggle, I think he probably has to move to the bench. Uh, and then, you know, who knows? Maybe Vando is the guy that, um, you know, I was talking to someone this morning and they were saying maybe Vando is that the the, the kind of the bridge to making the Austin uh, D'Lo backcourt work again, where he handles the top perimeter assignments. He gives you that energy and athleticism and length in the front court, uh, you know, a good defensive rebounder, and just someone who, I mean, we, we saw it work in the regular season where that five sum was really good together. And, and I, I think they're about uh, plus 10 or, or plus 11 points uh, per hundred possessions uh, off the top of my head. So I think Vando, I mean, again, we'll, we'll see when he returns. We'll, we'll see how guys are playing uh, uh, up until that point. But uh, I mean, so far the Lakers are 2-0 and with Austin coming off the bench. I, I think he has played well in that role. Cam has played well in the starting group. Uh, but I, I think longer term and, and just big picture, as you were hinting at, if D'Angelo Russell isn't here past the trade deadline, then this is all kind of for naught, where now you're going to have to, I mean, I assume if you're trading D'Lo, you're probably moving Austin back into the starting lineup. So it's like, I mean, Austin is the guy who's signed for three more seasons. Uh, he's going to be here past the trade deadline uh, in, in LA. Like, I, I just, I think it's a mistake benching him personally. Um, I, I just... I understand the logic behind it, but but I disagree with it, and I know several people w within the team disagree with it. And I, I don't know. I, I think th they're an interesting spot with it, but I, I think Vando is going to go back to starting, and it comes down to probably Torian or Cam uh, for the fifth starter as of right now. I've kind of liked the big looks in general uh, when Torian's been at the two or Cam Reddish has been mm -hmm. at the two. I think in the big picture, that's kind of what the team looks like is basically. Torian at the two plus whatever player they get back for D'Lo or maybe Torian at the three with whatever player they get back from D'Lo if it's a guard. But like that that kind of to me, I, I mentioned this to you um, in a text message the other day and I, I think it's the truth. But like when you look at this Austin situation, when you look at in general, just the way that the, the starting lineup has looked, when you go back to the Denver Nuggets series, we kind of said this on media day, but I feel more certain about it now. I think D'Angelo Russell getting traded is one of the safest bets in the NBA this season. It's a simple question of like, if you can't play him alongside your third best player in the backcourt and you have to bring him off the bench. And if you look at the lineup data and it's like whenever one of them's on, but the other's off is literally when the team has been playing at their best. Like, and that goes for both of them. Even the D'Lo led units without Austin have been really good. So like, it's pretty clear that that's the direction that they're going. So I guess my question for you is it does have you heard anything coming from the Laker front office that they are as aware of this issue and that they also see that as the inevitable destination and if so do you know what archetype of player that they're looking at are they looking for like big fish and we saw that report come out the other day that the Lakers might be looking at a star or do you think they're looking at more a higher quality role player upgrade for that two two or three spot so it's been pretty quiet on the trade front I think since the beginning of camp. Um, but when they re-signed D'Lo and, and it came out that uh, he had declined his, his basically his no trade clause, it, you know, part of a little CBA wrinkle uh, when you sign a one plus one uh, with a player option, you, you 
traditionally get a no trade clause for uh, you know that first year. And with the new CBA, they they tweaked it uh, where you know you could decline that. And I think the Lakers and D'Lo kind of came to an agreement of we're going to give you more than you could get on the open market uh, because I don't think he had much of a market th- this off season. And had he left the Lakers, he probably would have had to sign for the full uh, mid-level exception, which would have been about twelve, twelve and a half million dollars starting out. Uh, so Lakers decided, hey, we're going to give you some more money. We're going to give you seventeen and a half. Uh, over two years, or you know, seventeen and a half annually over two years, and then you're going to waive this so we can trade you at the trade deadline uh, if we find the right move. So I don't think they're fully committed to trading D'Lo. I think there is a scenario in which uh, they figure this out. It, it works really well, and uh, they just decide to ride it. And, and like I, I think, really, it, you, this was an opportunity for them to move him to a bench role potentially, where it could have just been. Like Austin's the starting point guard, Delo's the sixth man, and th- I think that would kind of make more sense in a playoff setting. Where if you're playing Denver and you have Delo coming off the bench, like he can play twelve to fifteen minutes if he's not playing that well. But it- it's harder to do that if he's the starter and Austin is coming off the bench. So, um, I, I again, I, I that's where I, I don't really I feel like there's a b- bit of a cognitive dissonance there with, with the benching of Austin when it feels like a temporary measure. Uh, but in terms of guys that they're looking at, uh, I think the Kyrie rumor is going to pop up again, come trade deadline. Now Dallas is off to a great start. They're eight and two. So I don't see why they would trade Kyrie. Um, yeah, you know, and that probably looks like something like D'Lo and, and Rui and a pick for Kyrie. And I don't know, like I don't see why Dallas does that right now, unless they start struggling. And then I think there's going to be a Chicago fire sale. So, uh, you know, Alex Caruso is obviously a, a Laker favorite, uh, but Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, those have been two guys the Lakers have been interested, uh, have been interested in for several seasons now. Uh, you know, DeMar even going back to the Toronto days, but but also in San Antonio. So, I look at those maybe one of those three uh, as a target for LA come the trade deadline or maybe sooner, uh, depending on when Chicago decides to blow it up. So I think Kyrie will come up again, depending on what happens with Dallas. But I think if Chicago has a fire sale, I think the Lakers are going to be calling them and and trying to get in that mix. Yeah. It's a way different set of circumstances because last year it was like they needed to make a trade just to be competent in the regular season. And like the Russell Westbrook situation was tenuous. There was bad body language. There was, you know, all of these like Zapruder film type things where like people's like, oh, look, Russ gave a weird look to LeBron across the arena or whatever, you know, or like that sort well, of summer, thing was kind of dynamic. They didn't say hi to each other. Ex- exactly. And, and so, and then there was that weird clip the other day where before the tip off of the Clippers game, he was kind of like avoiding the hello handshakes at the, at the start. Yeah. And like, that's the thing, like it was just a totally different vibe. And, and that's the thing, it, you, like the Lakers are not a bad team right now. Um, in the big picture of the of this of this regular season, so it's not like oh my gosh they need to make a trade they need to make a trade. It's just it's inevitable that they're going to like there are three teams this year that I look at as really high probabilities to make a trade even though they're already good, like the Lakers. I think the Milwaukee Bucks same type of thing need to upgrade that two spot in some way shape or form into a rotation level like starting level defensive rebounding guard right. 
And then the Philadelphia 76ers, I think they know they're a good regular season team, but I think they know they probably need one upgrade if they're going to have any chance of contending with the with the Bucks and the Celtics and the big picture in the playoffs because of the inevitable playoff shortcomings that Joel Embiid has, right? So it's important to, to differentiate here. Jovan and I are not saying like the Lakers need to make some big trade because it's like no. all hell is breaking loose. This is just big picture playoff ceiling stuff. I think the uh, the Caruso DeRozan package is one that I find interesting. You know, I really like Rui Hachimura, but he kind of falls into a similar space with D'Lo where like there's some issues with specific playoff matchups where it's like because Rui basically plays the same position as LeBron, there are certain matchups where you're like, oh man, we really need him. Memphis and Denver, right? And then there's another matchup against Golden State where you're like, oh, we can't really use him in this series. You know what I mean? And th- that that kind of in- inherently makes him somebody that you start to look at is if the target package required more salary filler, you'd probably consider him there, even though he's a great player. The other guy I was looking at was Dorian Finney-Smith with the Brooklyn Nets. I like him as an option that you could get without having to include Rui Hachimura that basically brings in a a, a, a good catch-and-shoot player that can guard at the point of attack, just basically like a better version of Torian Prince at the three that you can go to in, in those specific situations. But I do think I do think it's going to happen. It's just a question of what they intend to go after. And I think going after a star would be a huge mistake. I think LeBron looks great. I think that um, the late-game offense has been excellent. I, I don't see the need for a star more than I see the need for just upgrades at very specific position groups with the role players. So um, as we move on to kind of talking more X's and O's, let's do a quick little rundown on how the season started. Lakers are five and five, seventh in the Western Conference right now, 23rd in offense, 22nd in defense, 25th in rebounding. They're grabbing just 47.4% of available rebounds. Once again, last night in the in the Blazers games, just way too many long rebounds that uh in 50-50 balls that are going to the other team. Another kind of concerning stat in the standings, the Lakers are 1 in 5 against teams that are 500 or better, but they are 4-0 against below 500 teams. So as we move into the second portion of the show, what we're going to do is Jovan and I are going to go over the biggest flaws that we see with this uh, particular team so far through 10 games. We're going to go one at a time, Jovan. So I want you to give me the first item on your list of the biggest flaws with this team. We'll kind of break it down from there. Well, in flashing red, bright lights, uh, three-point shooting. And it's funny because on paper, uh, I think many people expected this to be the best three-point shooting supporting cast that the Lakers have had in the LeBron eight era. And you you add Christian Wood, you add Torian Prince, you add Gabe Vincent. Uh, but the Lakers, uh, you might have to cover your ears, folks, but 29th in three-point makes, 30th in three-point attempts, and 29th in three-point percentage. So they're a bottom two three-point shooting team. And I don't care, you know, they can fix some of these other issues that they have, but if they're a bottom two three-point shooting team, they're not going to win a championship, let alone potentially a playoff series uh, with, with their current level of shooting. And of course, we've seen the last couple of years they've gotten out to slow starts from a shooting perspective. So it, they're going to shoot better. It's kind of inevitable. But uh, you know, what, once that that I have constantly referenced over the last few years that I think matters in the modern NBA is that since 2011, which is an arbitrary delineation, but for me is kind of when the shift started to 
small ball and, and, you know, heavy three point shooting offenses. Uh, so starting with that Dallas Mavericks group, every champion has ranked in the top 10 in three point makes attempts or percentage, at least one of those three, often two of those. And sometimes even three of those with some of those warriors teams the the Cavs teams. So three point shooting, I mean, I'm not breaking news here, but like is a very important thing in the modern era. And I don't think it's good enough for the Lakers to be 15th or 18th in some of those categories. Like they got to be close to the top 10, at least in in one of them. And so, you know, the, the one exception over the last 13 years has been the 2020 Lakers, but that team had the best defense in the league and two top five, if not top three guys. So the Lakers have, have kind of defied that, I guess. They, they have a recent history of that. But to me, this group has to shoot much better than they have. And, and barring you know, them making a trade that really upgrades the shooting, um, I, I think this is an issue that, like again, they're going to shoot better. Maybe they're in the top 20, maybe they're in the top 18 in some of these uh, you know categories. But for them to be top or bottom two in, in percentage, really attempts is the one where like, you can control your attempts. You, you can't control your makes. You can't control your percentage, but like they should be shooting more threes than they are. And I know part of that is due to them not shooting well, but I just look at it as like the, the process isn't correct either, where like you got to shoot more threes. And I think that's something that, that they have to address first with, with Darwin's offense and, and, and just kind of the, the style of play that they're playing. Uh, but potentially at the trade deadline, like I think this group probably needs some more shooting. Yeah, those two pieces at the end are are, are going to be the interesting, uh, you know, progression of the season. Whether or not they make some sort of change in the offense, and whether or not a trade ends up actually kind of beefing up um, their ability to generate quality threes. Because the real problem, in my opinion, is that they're not generating quality threes. The Lakers attempt just fourteen point one wide open threes per game, which is where the defenders at least six feet away, and that ranks 29th in the NBA. And like when you when you look at the uh, the shooting percentages, like there are a few guys that are shooting around their career norms like Christian Wood, Rui Hachimura, LeBron James, Cam Reddish. Those are all, those guys are all shooting about what you'd expect. None of them are shooting better than you'd expect, but they're all shooting about what you'd expect. But then a lot of their like like historically good shooters are shooting poorly. Like Austin Reeves, 32% from three this year. He was 40% last year, 44% in the playoffs. D'Angelo Russell, 29%. He was 41% last year. Torian Prince, he's a career 37%. And he's shooting 31% this year. Max Christie's one for 10 on the season. He was 42% last year. Gabe Vincent, one for 14 on the season. He was 38% last year. So do I expect some guys to start making shots that they've been missing so far this season? Yeah, the process plays a role. And so this is where I wanted to ask you about the offense, because essentially one of the big one of the big storylines kind of surrounding the team this year is they've gone away from their spread pick and roll, spread uh, post-up type of offense, kind of a brute force type of offense that they ran last year and they're running more of like a five out read and react kind of like dribble handoff like multiple players multiple actions lots of motion taking place on the floor and it seems to have specifically disrupt disrupted their spacing and pick and roll like it just seems like guys are getting in each other's way and they're just a little now it's gotten better over the course of the last few games um, they have gone back to a little bit more of the spread pick and roll stuff they did last year have you heard because I, I do think that that plays a role in the three-point shooting. Like I, I think I think people get in trouble when they start to expect, like, oh, we'll eventually start making shots. It's like, yeah, there's a luck element in shooting, but there's a huge process element in shooting, in my opinion. So have you heard any buzz surrounding any sort of discontent 
within the locker room surrounding the offensive approach to this point in the season? No, but I think there's a healthy level of frustration with the results. I think naturally, uh, you know, they don't want to be uh, 22nd in offense and and they don't want to be, uh, again, 29th in three-point shooting percentage. Like, that's not what they came into. Like, if anything, on paper, this group looked better offensively than defensively. And I think it's really been the opposite, where, again, they've kind of been better defensively. The, the games that they've won, they've been able to, uh, you know, lock down defensively, play your bigger lineups and, and kind of figure it out and, and muck it up and uh, win games that way. So uh, I think, as you pointed out, I think that there, there's a process problem here, but also with a, a read and react type offense and, and, and a five out offense, like that takes reps, that takes continuity. And I think with having certain guys out, uh, you know, several guys have been in and out of the lineup, not really the principal guys for the most part. Uh, you know, LeBron has missed one game now, 80s missed one game now. Uh, Austin and D'Lo have been available for all 10 games, uh, but Vando's missed all 10 games. Gabe's missed six. Uh, Rui's missed four. Torian's missed two. So you've had several prominent guys within the rotation in and out of the lineup or just out of it altogether. And I, th I think it's kind of been a process of just figuring out, like, you have to know how certain guys like to play, how certain guys like to move. Uh, what are they going to do off the ball? What are they going to do? Like, how does, you know, does this guy like to reject the screen? How does this guy like to roll? Like, all that stuff comes down to timing and continuity and reps. Uh, they haven't had a lot of practice time. That's just kind of the nature of the modern NBA is, um, you know, a, a lot of times you're figuring this stuff out on the fly in games. Uh, the Lakers have had several instances in which they've, had uh, you know walkthroughs and, and shoot arounds trying to implement some of this stuff, but it's just it, it's hard to do on the fly compared to actually figuring it out. So I do I do give them some grace and, and say you know I, I think there is an element of just everyone's kind of adjusting. I, I think some of this stuff is affected Austin and D'Lo, and, and that's why that partnership hasn't necessarily worked the way that it, it did last season. Uh, but I, I think for them they, they want to give it. Darwin has constantly said give it 20 games and then let's reevaluate it. Uh, so I think we'll, we'll see what the next 10 games look like. And if they continue to struggle, uh, I think they have to potentially look at going back to, to more of last season's four out offense. Uh, and I think that suits who it wasn't great last year. Obviously they, they still struggled offensively, but we at least saw the ceiling of that team can make a Western conference finals. Like right now, I think the offense has been so bad that um, if this continues for another five, 10 games, like you, you really do have to reevaluate it. Well, and th that specifically is the the issue that I have with it is when you look at the bigger picture, the guys that it seems to be negatively impacting the most are guys that you're going to need in a big way towards the tail end of the season. Like D'Angelo Russell has actually been a better player in the regular season so far this year than Austin, even though you and I both agree Austin is a better player. Uh, but in this specific offensive approach, D'Lo just seems more comfortable. I think a big part of it is his strength. He's he's stronger than Austin right now, so he has a little bit better time getting to his spots for his little short, little mid-range jump shots. And um, I think like Austin in particular is a guy that is like kind of an old school, let him cook type of scorer in the sense that you kind of have to give him space and he needs, he needs to be able to take seven or eight dribbles in a pick and roll to get to, to the spot that he wants to get to. Austin can also play excellent off the ball, but in his on ball reps, that's kind of when he's at his best. And 
I haven't really been pleased with how Anthony Davis has been involved in the offense, specifically in the five outlooks. And so that that has been concerning that he's already completely abandoned the jump shot um, after after basically using it, um, you know, intentionally and talking about using it intentionally in the preseason. So I, I, I would say that, like, when two of your best three players seem to be the opposite of empowered within your offensive look, it's time to potentially consider altering it. Uh, I have seen them at least within the, the, you know, in the context of when Austin's on the floor with his own unit and Delo's off, they do start to run more of that kind of uh, spread pick and roll stuff they did last year. So I do, I think, and in the big picture, I think it's important to have multiple looks and to be able to to go to different offensive approaches depending on what the matchups dictate and things along those lines. But at the end of the day, this is my main concern with the five-out offense. If you look at the teams that do it well, teams like Golden State, Sacramento, for instance, they have, in Sacramento, incredible downhill pressure guys like Malik Monk and, and De'Aaron Fox, right? And then in Golden State, they have like guys that come flying off the of screens shooting love doing so and hit those shots at a high rate. And the Lakers kind of don't have either of those. And so to me, it doesn't, it, it's not necessarily the best fit for this particular group of guys. They have methodical unathletic guards that need space to get to go to work. And then they have old school, like power players that also need to operate with a cleared side for a post up so that they can make easy reads and things along those lines. So I am curious to see in the big picture, how long they stick with it. But I do agree with Darvin Ham's approach in the sense, like give it some time. Like, let's see if they can figure it out in the meantime. And I would argue that they should still have been winning at a higher rate, even with the offensive struggles, just through better kind of effort and commitment in other areas. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr. And I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans. 
the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Now that we're we're kind of we've hit the three-point shooting element of it, what's the next item on your list as uh one of the biggest flaws you've seen in the Lakers so far this year? Perimeter defense. And I think this in part will be not necessarily solved, but at least improved with uh, Gabe Vincent and Jared Vanderbilt coming back. I, I think those are probably their two best perimeter defenders, aside from obviously Anthony Davis. Uh, so I think we, we haven't seen the best perimeter defense from this group in, in terms of just their potential. Uh, but I, I still look at it like I think a lot of their issues have even the Portland game last night. Like I think the Lakers again escaped with the win and um yeah I thought 80 and and Brewey had, had some nice defensive plays and uh you know I, I think cam has done a really good job uh, on the perimeter but still like I, I feel like guards can kind of get whatever shot they want against the Lakers it feels like and um I, I just I don't know I, I think there's something with the the point of attack defense hasn't been great um the, the pick and roll defense in my opinion hasn't been great and I, I just think you know, I would really would have liked to have seen what how the Lakers would have fared against Phoenix had Devin Booker been available in, in either one of those games. I, I think he would have probably torched them uh, with, with the way that their their guard defense has been. So I, I just look at it as again. I think that's part of the reason why they had to split the D'Lo Austin pairing up was both of those guys have been minus defenders up to this point in the season, and um, I, I just look at it as we had talked about it before the season. You know, early in training camp of perimeter defense is arguably the biggest concern with this roster. And uh, again, you plug in Vando, but that comes with its own offensive concerns of that's another non-shooter that, that you're plugging in there. Teams are going to sag off of him. They're, they're going to load up the paint. So um, I, I think th there's no, like Gabe is one guy that I look at is okay. He's a plus shooter, e even with the one for 14, three point shooting. <laughs> and I, I think you, you've seen some good things from him at the point of attack, definitely a downgrade from Dennis and I, I think they really missed Dennis. That, that's been clear through the first 10 games. Uh, but I, I just, I, I think the perimeter defense has been pretty shaky uh, at, at best. And I look at that as something where you, you mentioned Dorian Finney Smith. I, I really like that name. Uh, Royce O'Neill, uh, also a, another guy in Brooklyn. Like uh, th those are a, a couple of guys that like three and D ish, basically three and D wings that. Uh, could plug some of those holes, but uh, I think Cam's been solid. I think Torian's had some moments, although he fouls a lot uh, and is a little bit undersized in, in certain matchups. I think Christian, I mean, Christian Wood held his own against KD uh, for, for that fourth quarter, but like, I still don't think that's a sustainable, uh, you know, solve there. So I think it's, it's a lot on AD's shoulders and he's played, I mean, he's, he's what top six or seven in minutes right now, basically is, is played every game and they're just asking, they're, they're putting a lot on his shoulders. I think that's unsustainable as well. So for me, it's it's the perimeter defense and, and just how they figure out the right lineups and combinations. But I do think it will get better once Gabe and Vando are back. Yeah, if you actually list out the Lakers minutes, total minutes played this year, and you get past the first four guys, which is Austin D'Lo, LeBron, and AD, who lead the Lakers in minutes, the next two are Cam Reddish and Torian Prince. 
And I think that's a pretty strong indicator of what Darvin Ham sees from the rest of the roster and their needs. Um, you know, like you're not, you're not see like those, I would argue those are not your fifth and sixth best players, but they're the guys getting those minutes. And again, like I think I, so I kind of tie these things together because I put perimeter defense on, on this list, but I reference it as perimeter athleticism and defense and just kind of everything associated with that. Like the, what, what the Lakers do not have in their current rotation because of the Vando injury is a top-tier NBA athlete who has a high motor. And because they don't have that, and like, this this was crazy. Like, Cam Reddish is rebounding at the highest rate of his career since his second season and uh, getting steals at the highest rate uh, of his career. And it's a big part of that is like, they're empowering this kid. It's like, you're one of like, you're like the only dude we have right now who's available, who's a top tier athlete that can do this job. Like just, so just go do it. They're basically pointing him and shooting him. And he's doing a, a really great job within that role. I think, I think, Cam Reddish succeeding the way he is is a testament to Cam, but it also is a testament to what this roster needs. And you're you're actually seeing how like a player that is considered essentially like a journeyman in the NBA at this point is playing some of the best basketball of his career because his specific skill set fits what this roster does not have. And if you go back through NBA history, pretty much every single um, uh, championship team has a high motor top tier athlete. You know, if you look at Bruce Brown last year, Aaron Gordon last year. You go back to Andrew Wiggins and Gary Payton the second with the Golden State Warriors, and you go back to Giannis Antetokounmpo and Drew Holiday on the 2021 Bucks, and obviously the Lakers. It's like at this phase in LeBron and Anthony Davis's career, you have to have a high motor athlete around them, and I think that kind of helps you in in multiple ways. It helps you in the point of attack defense assignment, kind of like staggering and, and making sure guys are kind of guarding matchups they can handle. But it's also big on the rebounding piece. We mentioned the Lakers have been a horrible rebounding team to start this year. And a big part of that is they lose every 50-50 ball, every long rebound goes to a bigger, better athlete. And so I think that that to me is why like I look at that specific type of upgrade as necessary and why I think going after a star is so foolish. We've seen this again with the Suns. We've seen it again with the 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 Clippers just recently. Like when you bring in a star, when you already have stars, there's a diminishing return on what you get on the third star. And in a lot of cases, what you really just need is dudes that can help make the stars jobs easier by taking uh, that workload off of their plate. So I'm hundred percent with you on that page. I think, I think obviously the deadline has some, um, some potential to fix that problem. And I think with the, the, the assets that they have available, they will be able to make that upgrade, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they do before the deadline, because they need to like, again, D'Angelo Russell can't be traded until January 15th. And, you know, shout out to D'Lo. If he knows he's going to be traded and that more or less has been communicated to him as like a high degree of possibility, right? He's been a professional. He has been a great leader. He's been mentoring some of the younger players on the roster. He is staying mentally engaged and he's playing hard. Like I, I like I actually have been so impressed by D'Angelo Russell this entire season, just with the way he's handled all that. But there is a, a degree of urgency within the, the the like that until January fifteenth that this group needs to find out how to do a better job. What what in your opinion is the best way for the Lakers to manage this weakness in the short term? Well, I think Vando coming back is going to help, but I think you got to go with the bigger lineups. And uh, I recently, actually, you know, th this morning had a piece go up, uh, State of the Lakers, 10 observations through 10 games. And 
one of the things I, I looked at was the front courts and all the different front court pairings that had at least one of LeBron and AD in the lineup. Because of course, that's kind of going to be your foundation. You, you can have some odd lineups of, of Christian Wood, Jackson Hayes, and like Torian Prince, but I don't think that's something you're going to see when it actually matters. And it's clear that the bigger front courts have just been better. And if you look at uh, the the net differential uh, on cleaning the glass, like the Lakers play better when they have uh, some combination of Anthony Davis and Christian Wood, Anthony Davis and Jackson Hayes, Anthony Davis and Rui Hachimura, like the the bigger lineups. And, and I, I'll take uh, egg on my face. Like I was against the two big lineups entering the season. I, I didn't think they made sense. Like even to this day, I, I still think Anthony Davis is a five and He's kind of been the five in those lineups more so than, than not. But uh, Christian Wood has exceeded expectations. I, I think he's held up reasonably defensively. Like you don't want him as your primary rim protector. And uh, Darwin has tied his minutes largely to AD and Jackson Hayes for that reason. But I, I think he's added some some length. He's you know a good weak side shot blocker when when AD is contesting a shot. You know Christian will come with the second level of contesting, uh, or he'll just vacuum up defensive rebounds. That I think in that Phoenix game in particular, that was why the Lakers won that game. Was Phoenix was killing them on the offensive glass. Christian Wood comes in and he helps hold down the fort. Uh, so I, I just look at Lakers have played better with size. I, I think they have to go back to that being their full-time identity. And uh, we haven't seen the three-guard lineups because Gabe Vincent's been out. I'm sure if he was playing, we would see some D'Lo, Gabe, Austin, just because, uh, as we know, Darvin uh, you know, tends to to like those lineups. Uh, so, yeah, But I, I think that's not going to work with, with this current group, with the way that they've been giving up defensive rebounds, uh, they've been susceptible to back cuts and, and just kind of energy plays uh, that you, you can't... I mean, part of that has to just be guys being locked in and focused and, and giving maximum effort. I think the effort has been poor at times, and that's been a little bit disappointing if you're the Lakers. But part of it is just size. And if you have Christian Wood, LeBron James, and Rui Hachimura out there together, that's like three dudes, six, nine and above. Um, with, with LeBron and, and Rui, you get a level of force and athleticism. With Christian Wood, you get a bunch of size and length. And like it's harder to grab offensive rebounds when those guys are in the paint compared to going 80 Torian Prince and Cam Reddish or or you know just one of those guys being in there in a three guard lineup. So for me it's it's clear this group has played bigger uh, has played better bigger and that's something that they really need to lean into more than I think they have up to this point. Yeah, again, like if don't try to outplay people in an area that you are undermanned. Like if you can't beat guys to the basketball with straight line speed, then you need to beat them up high. <laughs> and so like it's a great it's a great way to look at it in the sense that like when they have three dudes that are six nine and taller and, and excellent defensive rebounds like LeBron James, Christian Wood, and Anthony Davis on this on the floor at the same time, they're gonna win a lot. They may lose the occasional long rebound, but they are gonna get every damn rebound that's around the rim just because of how uh, how big they are. And I kind of I, I agree with you, and 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 honestly, like it's going to require difficult things, like doing more staggering of Austin and D'Lo, which they're already doing. But it's clear in, in terms of the emergency stopgap until January fifteenth, they basically have to slot in order to compete physically, someone like Reddish or Torian Prince at the two, uh, and I think I think that's going to be essentially their 
their formula until they get deeper down the line. Essentially, like we can't compete with teams in straight line speed, but we can compete with teams with our overall size because of what Christian Wood ended up being. And and like again, Christian, uh, we we said this in our in our media day um, uh, pod, but basically. Christian Wood is a zero risk proposition in the sense that like he was a veteran minimum contract. Obviously there were some potential downsides. Everyone's like, Oh, he can't guard and pick and roll. He can't guard and pick and roll. And that is true. When he's been the primary rim protector guarding and pick and roll, he's been flambéed. like that. That goes without saying, but he's actually been excellent help side defense uh, situations. And he's had some interesting on ball reps um, against switches. And then like kind of little niche assignments for three, four possessions at a time where he'll guard like Kevin Durant or something like that. And he's proven as that kind of backside guy, essentially the, the low man behind Anthony Davis or the low man behind uh, Jackson Hayes to be a really helpful player. And when you combine that with him, basically allowing them offensively to operate in that true kind of like, uh, you know, true four out one in spacing or five out spacing with a, a second big on the floor. He's been a home run in that regard. But the question becomes like, are you going to be able to play Christian Wood next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis for an entire postseason run? And it's probably not. It's probably going to be more of a matchup dependent kind of thing, which keeps bringing us back to the, to the original crux of the issue, which is like, you got to have, another vert like like straight line top tier athlete at the two or three that can compete in a lot of these situations and help them win more of those battles did you have anything else on your list of biggest flaws those are really the only two that i put in obviously they're the three-point shooting and the perimeter athleticism obviously they're both very complicated issues but those are the only two i had did you put anything else down yeah, I mean, I think a subcategory of the perimeter athleticism is what we were just talking about the, the defensive rebounding has been awful, but I think that like the, the perimeter defense and the defensive rebounding kind of are, are both subcategories of the, uh, lack of, uh, perimeter athleticism. Uh, other than that, uh, no, I, I think like th- those are the two biggest things. Um, I, I, I mean, I think the, the jump shooting in general, and that kind of starts to, to stem into some of the three point shooting, like ha- has been an issue. And I think this team continues to just be at its best living in the paint. Um, but I, I would say, I mean, maybe just the offense overall, that that would be kind of the third thing for me would, would just be the, the five out offense and um, how stagnant it, it has been and, and just kind of janky at times. But other than that, I think that the three point shooting and the perimeter defensive and rebounding to me have been kind of the two main themes that have translated into each game that have ultimately hurt this team and kind of caused them to play behind for the most part. Well, that perimeter athleticism piece, I think will help with the offense piece as well, because like, again, you, everyone thinks of rim pressure as something that has to come from the ball handler. It's not necessarily the case. Like you, that straight line athlete, just in random transition pushes can cause, uh, can cause havoc and bring multiple bodies into the paint. There's, uh, you know, the, the Mavericks have been using Derek Jones like this a lot where they'll kind of position him on the weak side wing and he'll just catch and rip to the basket really hard instead of catching and shooting because he's such a freak athlete that just when he catches and rips, everyone kind of uh, coalesces around the paint anyway. And so there, I think just having an, a really good straight line athlete on the floor next to their core four guys would go a long way towards just generating higher quality shots. And that's kind of why I put perimeter athleticism as kind of a vague term. Cause I think, I think in general that helps in so many different ways, especially in the modern NBA with how things are spaced out. What do you think? Obviously this has been a disappointing start, right? Um, 
five and five, I think I, I, I told uh, Logan asked me at the beginning of the season to make a, a, a guess based on their first 12 games since they went two and 10 last year. And I said, they'd go seven and five. And I think that's actually on the table as a possibility if they beat Memphis on Tuesday and then they, they win on, on Wednesday. But I still think through 10 games that if you, I think if you gave truth serum to every Laker in that locker room and asked them and said, are you disappointed or, or, uh, you know, happy with how the start of the season went? I think most of them would say they're disappointed. So like on with that as kind of the context, what would you say is your biggest silver lining that you've picked away from this team at this point? Look, I'm, I'm feeling optimistic. So I will give you two silver linings. Uh, one, I think this team has played pretty terrible for the first 10 games. <laughs> and the fact that they're five and five to me is a win. Like, I think they played at, uh, it, it was funny, after uh, the seventh game, Darvin, uh, he was answering a question, and he was kind of like, you know, we're, we could easily be six and one right now, and and we're clearly not a one and six team. And like, I disagree with that. Like, I, I think the way that they've played, it, like, to me, they've played more like a two and eight or three and seven team than a team that's like seven and three or, or eight and two. Like, th- they've had, like, they're five and two in games that have gone into crunch time. And that alone might be its own silver lining of like this team's resolve. Like four of their five wins have come after trailing by double digits in the first quarter. And in some cases, double digits in the second half. So like this team has showed a a resolve and and just a kind of a a calmness within the chaos that even if they get down, they have a slow start, they can still come back and win a game. So I think, the fact that they're five and five, despite again, you know, bottom, I mean, they're bottom six in net rating, uh, they're bottom two in three point shooting. Like they've had a lot of things go against them. All the injuries, uh, all the poor, the, the poor starts. Like to be five and five to me is a win in and of itself. But the second thing for me is LeBron, in my opinion, is back to his pre-injury form before that foot injury that he had in February, uh, where shooting a career high fifty six point seven percent. And making a career best 83.4% of his shots within three feet at the rim. And, and that's been like he might be one of the, the few exceptions in terms of guys benefiting from the five-out system. Like some of the driving lanes that LeBron has had. And of course, part of that is just his burst, his athleticism. It's back compared to where it was, let's just say in the playoffs. But LeBron's finishing at the rim has been incredible. Uh, I think his shot selection has been much better than the past couple of years. And just his efficiency so far offensively, uh, like the Lakers have been about 24 points per hundred possessions worse when LeBron has been off the floor. So they're as reliant on him as ever. And on the one hand, you'd like to see some of the D'Lo or or Austin-led lineups be better and the Lakers not have to rely on him as much. But the fact that he's looked as good as... And I know you've been on the clutch stuff. like uh, So uh, first in the league in in, uh, clutch baskets, uh, I think third in scoring and tied for 14th and plus minus in crunch time. So like, that's all like he's been making shots and and making plays that he wasn't making last season. So overall, I think the fact that LeBron has looked as good as he has in year 21 at almost 39, uh, that in and of itself to me is a really positive sign for the Lakers eventual contention. If they can just get healthy and potentially make another move, you know, fill in some of these gaps that we're talking about, like LeBron at that level, I think you can win a championship. Yeah, the LeBron stuff has been super interesting because you mentioned the five out stuff and and it's a really simple concept. With five out, if you can get past the first line of defense, 
the backside rotation is infinitely harder because you don't have a defender waiting in the dunker spot or 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 basically like in an easy help situation. That's it's a much longer rotation. So LeBron's going to have had a steam against probably a perimeter player that's in help. So he's going to have a much better chance of finishing around the rim or easier kick out opportunities. But that initial line of defense, the the guy that is digging down off of the defender on either side is closer than they would be in a spread pick and roll type of situation or a spread ISO or post-up situation. And so LeBron with his incredible strength can just shoot through these tight gaps and get to the rim and have no problem. But it's the, it's the lesser athletes that are struggling with it. And to your point, like that's a great example of why, you know, it is worth sticking with in the long run. My, my, my thing with the five out is just like, I think they should cater it towards each player in the sense that like, Hey, we have an Austin led group out there. Let's run more spread pick and roll. Hey, we got LeBron on the floor. Maybe we run it this way. It, like D low lineups have done a good job with the five and out of the five out stuff. So like, I think that's kind of the, the short term solution there is kind of just cater the offense more towards each individual group. But the, the, the stuff in the cl- in crunch time is really important because LeBron was a bad clutch player last year. And a big part of that was his jump shot wasn't falling and it kind of kind of spiraled into all of these other, you know, ancillary issues. And and it turned into this thing where he would get the big on the switch and he'd take that pullback three and he just missed it every single time. And it was a huge part of how games kind of ended up being close late that they probably shouldn't have been. This year, he's just been so much more decisive He's knocked down a bunch of clutch jump shots this year. He uh, has specifically dominated the game as a matchup attacker at the end of games, generating high quality shots against the weaker defensive, uh, um, you know, kind of areas of their opponents. And so I think that's a huge silver lining. Uh, the I I put two others on my list. One, Christian Wood, which we already talked about, just his him, him hitting as a veteran minimum signing and unlocking real big lineups for this Laker team, I think is a huge home run. And then uh, secondly, just like LeBron's overall level of play and just where he looks in general. We talked about this before the year as like one of the major, you know, kind of like swing factors for this team. Are they going to be able to um, uh, to go toe to toe with the best stars in the league? And Anthony Davis, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag. He's had some bad games. He's had some good games. But I think more overall, he's kind of looked more or less like he did last year. LeBron James looks like he's better than he was last year. And I, and I think that's super encouraging. And then lastly, five and two in clutch games. That's the fifth best record in the league by winning percentage in clutch situations. The fourth best clutch net rating. The Lakers have been elite on both ends of the floor and have grabbed 55% of available rebounds. So when push comes to shove, they can lock in and they've played really good basketball at the end of games. It's just been funny because like in four of their five wins, they've been such shit for like three quarters <laughs> and then they lock in and they play a good basketball. And I think that's kind of colored the entire season as disappointing in a way that maybe the record wouldn't suggest, but let's, let's, let's do one last thing before, uh, before we uh, uh, get out of here. Did they're going on an East coast road trip soon. Uh, where they're going to play Cleveland and Philly back to back on the road. That's it. That's going to be a tough one. Uh, but the schedule's a little easier up until then. Really, the tough games are a home game against the Kings and then a home game against the Dallas Mavericks. Two games which the Lakers will be favored in. Uh, do you think there's any chance that the Lakers hit the road at eleven and five on an eight game winning streak? Uh, any chance? Yes, uh, but I think uh, again we'd have to see some better overall play from this group. Um, I think you just hit on it where, you know, I, I think in crunch time, they've been great, but I, I would just like to see sustained periods. Like I, I was 
like looking for that last night against Portland, where even with LeBron out, like that could have been a situation where they just had a wire to wire victory, won that by 15, 20 points. And um, as uh, subjective as it sounds, I, I would have felt a lot better about them currently. Uh, but the fact that they, they were kind of messing around with that game, uh, you know, Port- Portland was up. You know, for for stretches of of the first quarter, uh, the, you know they they got back into the game in, in the fourth quarter, and, and there was a, a couple of minutes there. I thought they were potentially going to win that game. Like to to me, just th- they've kind of been playing with their food, so to speak, a, a little bit too much. And I, I would like to just see a little bit more killer instinct from them of, of just come out and, and look. They'll they'll play Portland at the end of the week. Uh, they, they've got some winnable games, but Memphis just came into the, the Clippers arena and, and beat them. Uh, Sacramento, as we know, has been a tough matchup for the Lakers the, the, over the past year, just with their their speed and uh, their five-out offense and uh, their perimeter shooting. Uh, so I think that, that's a tough one. Looking at Houston again, uh, you know they just beat the Lakers by 34 points. Uh, they beat the Nuggets got, last night too. Beat the Nuggets. Uh, they're on a, what, five-game win streak? Six, five or six-game Five or six, streak. yeah. Uh, and then you, you got Dallas, who's been the second-best team in the West, in, in my opinion, up through this point. Uh, also, Utah, who, who's kind of sneakily been a bit of a tough matchup for the Lakers, also with their five-out offense and uh, some of their spacing and shooting. So um, I'm going to say no. Uh, I don't think it happens. I think it could happen. And the, you know they're home for uh, five of the next six games, uh, looking at it right now. With the one road game being Portland, but I, I suspect they go four and two over the next six games, and that would put them at nine and seven. Which again, I think with their current level of play, uh, is a win um, compared to where they could be. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to go eleven and five. <laughs> I, I have to, it's funny in general. I think I think like uh, I think. I think remember the high motor athlete thing we were talking about. I don't think it's really possible to go on like long win streaks and to blow out teams unless you have high motor athletes because of the fact that inevitably when a team is down, they start playing hard. And it's kind of like that early fourth quarter run last night. It's like the Lakers are so unathletic that when they start not giving a shit, they just, the bottom falls out. And so like, they're so prone to those ugly stretches. It's like inevitable that they'll drop. I, I feel the same way around nine or seven, uh, a 10 and six before we get you out of here. How's your Achilles? How is the surgery? How are you holding up mentally? I feel like if I was in your position, I'd be spiraling into depression. So I'm curious to hear how you're doing on that front. Uh, well, I, I appreciate it, man. Uh, it's been tough. I'm not going to lie. Uh, this has definitely been the, the toughest physical situation I've ever dealt with. Um, I, I think I, I spoke, so I've, I've been fortunate to speak with multiple people who've dealt with it. Um, I actually had a conversation with Kevin Durant when, when the Suns were in town uh, and, and we talked a little bit about it uh, and, you know, hadn't met him before, but just went up to him, introduced myself and asked him for his advice on it. And uh, everyone that has dealt with it has unanimously said like the mental part is the toughest part. Uh, like physically I'm okay. Now I had surgery almost two weeks ago. Uh, so first few days of surgery were really rough. I had to be on pain medication, couldn't get out of bed. Uh, you know, that, that was really rough to deal with, but since then largely pain-free, it's just kind of the, the mental grind of like, you always have to be like, you know, you, you, uh, you got to go to the bathroom. Uh, your instinct is stand up, walk to the bathroom. And like, there's been times I've had to stop myself and be like, okay, got to get my scooter. Uh, I got, I got this. I walk thing, which is almost like, it's almost like a peg leg kind of where you, you put your knee in it 
and then it's like a crutch below the knee. Uh, so okay. I've been walking around with that a little bit. Uh, but the biggest thing for me has been like, I, I was really looking forward to, uh, you know, the season and, and traveling and like the beginning of the season is always really fun getting to know some of the the players, getting to, uh, go get drinks with people, get dinner. So I, I wasn't on this past road trip, hoping to be back on the road by the end of the month, uh, hoping to be walking a little bit by the end of the month. So uh, I'm trying to approach this recovery like Aaron Rodgers uh, and exceed expectations. So um, it's been tough. It, it has been mentally draining, but I'm trying to keep a good spirit with it. Yeah, and most importantly, you got a lot of good basketball left in you. You got to get back out uh, yeah. on the basketball court one day. Yeah, I, I've been dealing with Achilles soreness, bad soreness, so bad that I shut myself down now. This is the the uh, third time because I tried to come back too quick twice. And like just last Sunday, uh, a week ago yesterday, I played in a men's league game and I was like, I like it's it's worse than it's ever been. I'm like, I got to shut it down. So I'm shutting down for the next month, probably. And just being away from the game as long as I've been over the last couple of weeks, months, I should say, has been kind of like torture for me. So I can't even imagine what it's going to be like going without it for a year um, cause like, it's almost even, it's even above and beyond the love of the game. It's like just really easy way to get good cardio. It's like, yeah. it just, in terms of like just your day-to-day health, like it just helps to be able to strap on a pair of shoes, go to the, the, the gym, play for an hour and a half and burn a thousand calories, you know, like you don't get to do that anymore. And it's really unfortunate. And I'm really curious. I'm going to be picking your brain throughout the process because like, I'm really curious as to what that, uh, whole mental challenge is like along the way. Um, Jovan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Laker fans, like I said, this is going to be a thing at least for the next month, hopefully longer. Um, we appreciate you giving us the time. We appreciate everybody for supporting the show. We will see you guys later today for our power rankings and Clippers evisceration. Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound... Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.